welcome back to First Peoples Lawcast, a podcast dedicated to defending the rights of Indigenous peoples. My name is Geneva Lloyd, and I'm the Director of Operations at First Peoples Law. I'm so excited to be back on the show to announce and introduce the 2022 recipient of our Indigenous Law Student Scholarship. This annual scholarship is awarded to Indigenous law students with a demonstrated commitment to serving and advancing the interests of Indigenous peoples. I know I speak on behalf of all my colleagues at First Peoples Law when I say it's an absolute pleasure and privilege to be able to offer the scholarship for the past four years. We were pleased to double this year's award to $10,000. This year's recipient is Casey Keynes, and honorable mentions go out to Darian Lonechild and Sophia Sideris. Congratulations to Casey, Darian, and Sophia, and a big thank you to everyone who took the time and energy to apply. In this episode, we welcome back to the show last year's recipients Mary McPherson and Anita Cardinal-Stewart for a conversation with Casey about law school, working in community, decolonizing education, and more. Without further ado, I turn the mic over to Anita. Hi, so so great to be here and uh, be joined again with Mary and be on the podcast podcast really had a great time uh, last year and uh, so grateful for the opportunities that arose from this and uh, so happy to welcome Casey Keynes into the club Uh, amazing uh, advocate and uh, all-around incredible person so uh, my name is Anita Cardinal and I am a member of the Woodland Creek First Nations situated on a Treaty 8 territory I graduated from U of A um, just this last April and now I'm doing my articles uh, in Sherwood Park and I'll be called to the bar next year. And now I, um, I'll hand it over to Mary. Thanks, Anita. It's, it's really lovely to be meeting with you and Casey as well. Um, congratulations, Casey. Uh, we're very, very excited. Um, uh, in, in terms of who I am, I'm a member of Kuchiching First Nation. I finished my law degree at UOttawa uh, last spring, and I'm now doing my master's in law at Queen's um, and very much enjoying that. Uh, so I'll pass it off to you, Casey. Uh, Tensei, it's so good to be here with you guys today. Uh, my name is Casey Keynes. I'm mixed ancestry, Cree and Dene from Fort Nelson First Nation on Treaty 8 territory in Northern British Columbia. I grew up in the North about five minutes from my nation's reserve, um, but I'm now a third year law student at the University of Alberta in Edmonton, where I currently am raising my two young girls alongside my husband and where I'm joining you all from today. Again, welcome. And thank you for sharing a bit about yourselves, Anita and Casey. Uh, we're excited to get this conversation conversation started. Uh, Casey, I'd like to uh, I'd like to start with you uh, by asking you what drew you to pursue a degree in law and how has the experience been for you so far? Yeah, my um, intro to law has kind of been happenstance. My mom was a huge true crime fan growing up, so I was really enamored with the law and the legal field. I love City Confidential, Law and Order, American Justice, um, but it never really pulled me in as a possible career until I had my first child. And I was in my early 20s when I had my first little girl, Charlie, and at two years old, she was diagnosed with autism. And that really forced me into a space of activism and advocacy. She couldn't speak for herself, so I had to make sure that her voice was heard and that she was able to receive the education and interventions that she deserved. And as I did my best to do that, I began to recognize 
the systemic inequalities and barriers to access that were so prevalent throughout our system and these services. And these inequalities and identities were intersectional. So I saw the way these systems could burden families and it was a palpable injustice. So I got more involved and naturally started to draw parallels to all the other systemic injustices in our country, including the barriers and inequalities facing the people I love. Um, and I felt this pull to be part of the solution. So it really wasn't the law that drew me in, it was the way law intersects with people. So I like to say that my children really were and are the reason that I'm on this path. Um, it was because of them, but also because of what I wanted the world to look like for them that I went back to school. And that's been, um, I like the words of the author, Glennon Doyle, she says, uh, brutal. So it's been a really beautiful, but also brutal experience, um, sometimes on the same day. Um, so I, like many Indigenous law students, have been really continue to suffer from debilitating imposter syndrome. <laughs> so I remember my husband coming home from work on one of my first few classes, and I was sitting at my computer crying. I had no idea what I was doing. Everyone seemed to understand the law already in ways that I didn't. And I was just waiting for them to email me and say, you know, they made a mistake and I was never smart enough to be accepted into law school. And so I told him I was gonna quit. And he said, I'll support you no matter what you choose. Um, and we had that conversation at least six more times before midterms, but I never did quit. And I found a community of indigenous law students and legal professionals who knew exactly how I felt. And next thing you know, I'm in my final year, um, and while I'm still often angered to tears by the law itself, I've also really found these beautiful spaces within it and managed to hold on to my why, which has made every moment worth it. Wow. And boy, have you succeeded. <laughs> and we're, you know, so grateful that uh, that your husband was there being your cheerleader and no doubt in his mind, uh, you would uh, by far exceed your expectations. And you absolutely have. And um, yes, yeah, so very um, inspired by you, Casey, every day. I um, oh, thank you for your kind words. Absolutely. Uh, so here's the thing. Uh, so you, I know that you have been working um, with First Nations communities for a very long time. You have extensive experience doing this um, and drafting legislation rooted in their traditional knowledge and value systems. Can you explain to the listeners a bit about this work and tell us how your experience working with Indigenous communities and their legal systems has influenced your legal education? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, Kodawin Law and Governor's Lodge is one of my favorite things to talk about. Uh, Dr. Hadley Freeland and Corin Laney Earl have created this incredible space within U of A's Faculty of Law that works with communities to identify, articulate, and implement their own laws. Um, and some of this work is done using the narrative analysis method, which is my favorite method. And it was developed by Dr. Hadley Friedland and Dr. Val Napoleon. And we actually use nation stories that have been passed down from generation to generation as the framework for what law could look like within their community. Um, so essentially it's pre-legislative drafting, but it's rooted in a nation specific teachings, stories and ways of knowing. And so it's law that's drafted from like, the heart of the community and from the bottom up rather than top down. And so a lot of my work with the Lodge has been focused around Bill C-92 and nations developing their own child and welfare legislation. Um, and it's really challenging, heart-bursting work, if you can even call it work. 
um, that it's changed not only how I moved through law school, but also how I moved through the world. Um, one of the things I always think about is Dr. Bell Napoleon asks, who are we beyond our resistance to colonialism? And when I set out to attend law school, my education was focused solely on that tension between the state and systemic inequalities and barriers to access. And it was kind of that space of resistance that I entered law school. And as I had the chance to work with beautiful, incredible communities, including my own, who live in that space, I've also had the opportunity to visit that space beyond that tension. You know, that space where the aunties laugh and the community gathers to eat fluffy bannock and moose stew and rock babies in their whips. And, and being in that space has fundamentally changed me and how I continue to work through my education. Um, so I no longer live in that space of just resistance. I'm really embracing that law that is written on our hearts as John Burr describes and that space really feels um, right for me. Wow that's really incredible to hear Casey and I'm so excited to see how this informs your work in the future and I I mean agree there's something so special about being with people in community and just being like you know having a support system being there for each other and I think that there's a lot a lot that stems from that and it's really excited exciting to hear uh what you're working on there um now i also understand you're doing other really cool work um which really excites me in that you're working with your nation to indigenize indigenize their high school and post-secondary curriculum so I think I think education is a really a really important thing, and I'd I'd like to hear a little bit more about how this work is going and what indigenizing and decolonizing educational courses means to you. Yeah, I mean it's been such an incredible experience to come full circle and be able to contribute to my nation with my legal education and kind of give back to the community in that way. Um, and so Lana Lowe, my nation's land director, had a vision for courses that were really rooted in our nation's ways of knowing and that were reflective of the rich knowledge and history that we have. And so as a legal researcher, I've been working alongside another Indigenous woman, um, Claudia Holland, to compile materials for accredited courses that actually teach our nation's uh, history through moose high tanning. Um, and it's been such a gift to be going through the archives and learning from our elders, um, some of who have now journeyed on, including my own grandparents, and then having the opportunity to put their words into course outlines that are going to continue to raise up our next generations. And so for me, these courses are really about reclaiming space. You know, they allow our next generation to see themselves within the education system. And we know that when people see themselves within institutions, that they are rightfully more engaged and we see better outcomes. Um, so for me, my nation undertaking this work is really an act of self-determination and an act of love for the generations to come. Wow. Um, I mean, representation, as we know, uh, can mean all the difference to um, a youth, to somebody in our community, that so often that lack of representation is why um, they don't reach for their goals sooner in life or, you know, so many things. I mean, myself, I personally didn't meet an Indigenous lawyer until I was an adult. I think it was in my mid-30s by the time I met an Indigenous lawyer, which is so sad to think about now. And I'm just so grateful that there's so many awesome role models out there that can go, especially go back to the communities like you're doing. And they get to see that and they get to be inspired by that. Um, and so, you know, like I said, uh, until I was an adult, like I did, and then, 
you know, having to express that lack of representation um, played a, a huge role in why I didn't pursue legal career earlier in my life. So can you tell us about the Indigenous role models in your life that have empowered you to pursue a career in law? Yeah, how much time do we have? <laughs> I, I actually tweeted earlier this year um, that it's wild that one day my degree will only have my name on it because it's truly been a group effort. You know, the sheer number of people, particularly Indigenous women, some who are even on this podcast today, who have picked me up, opened doors that I entered, spoke words of confidence in me before I ever believed it is just truly unbelievable. You know, like you, I didn't meet a lawyer until I was an adult. Um, I didn't meet an Indigenous lawyer until I was already in law school. Um, but I've had really strong Indigenous change makers, um, you know, like Miranda LaRock, Kelly Benny, Loretta Pronto English, Desiree Miron, you know, so many more along the way who gave me a community that really inspired me to follow this path despite not being in law. And then once I got to law, I got to meet really inspiring Indigenous women like Corin Lightning, Tamara Pearl, Linda Levesque, Billy Fortier, you know, so many brilliant Indigenous lawyers and scholars that have given me inspiration and a space to find my way just by sitting with me and talking through some of the harder moments at law school. You know, and Indigenous women in my life in particular have shaped my path to law in so many ways. So my grandmother, Rose Harold, shot beavers out of the front of a canoe with babies on her back and at her feet, you know, and that inspired me to be fierce and to take up that space. Um, but I think most of the people that have inspired me and continue to inspire me are the Indigenous women in my life who just do life alongside one another. You know, the ones who dropped off chicken noodle soup and ginger ale when I was sick during my first year of law school. The ones who sent random texts of love and appreciation just when I seemed to need it. The ones who rocked my babies in board meetings. <laughs> Sorry, I'm trying not thinking about them, but you know, people who mentioned my names in rooms that they knew I was meant to be in. And they might not have known that I would end up in law, but they empowered me in every way along that way to get to this path today. Okay, so I'm wiping away tears. <laughs> because um, I see, <laughs> I hear that beautiful emotion in your voice and I understand, me too. Oh, it's crazy. <laughs> no, I can't help it. I promised myself I wouldn't cry. <laughs> oh, goodness. Um, oh. oh, no, with that being said, I mean, like all of those wonderful inspirations and all, and you talk about those spaces those that you you're you're in now because of all these wonderful people that have paved the way that have broken down those barriers and and there's still so many to go obviously uh there's still lots there's still a lot of fight <laughs> well thankfully we have this wonderful community um so what do you think um some of the biggest challenges that Indigenous women are facing when pursuing a career in the field of law. And I know that you spoke of some of them, but like, yeah, please, I'd love to hear you talk about that as well. Yeah, I mean, the system wasn't made for us. Indigenous women couldn't even vote until 1960. So when my dad was born, my grandmother wasn't able to vote. And he was almost 20 years old before it was granted. And that kind of patriarchy and systemic racism are embedded within our institutions and they're not easily dismantled. You know, we see it in the number of Indigenous women who make partners in law firms, which is very few. Um, indigenous women who are in the judiciary, who remain in the legal field past that five-year mark. Our communities and families, which bring us strength and provide an invaluable gift, are often seen as a burden by the system when it comes to caregiving and centering community in our work. 
And so while things continue to improve, like you said, through the constant advocating of Indigenous women on behalf of themselves, um, and it's something that I absolutely benefit from now as a law student, there's still so much more work to do to ensure that Indigenous women are valued as whole humans within the legal field, and that those gifts of community and caregiving are some of the central part of those gifts that we bring into the legal field. No, that is that is so very such strong truth. Like um, when you say that, even when you say the system wasn't made for us, you know, like I went into law school and grew up very aware of what what law has meant in my family. Uh, hearing stories about the Indian agent and the, the level of control that they had over every single little movement. And then going into law school, very aware that the fact that I'm a status Indian means I can't own property on reserve or the fact that my wills mean something different than the rest of Canadians. And, um, and all of these, these very, you know, strong realities that set us up, apart. But then when you go into law school, when I went into law school, I was fighting. I felt like I was fighting every, everything I was being taught. Um, so something that my dad had shared with me, um, which had helped was a quote. Um, and that was along the lines of how lear learning is, is violence. So it really, I, it really, helped me in law school to understand that it was more or less a kind of assimilation process in which I had to immerse myself um, in order to better and, and, and even be passive to these laws that and felt like self-betrayal in a sense um, to these laws that are, are, um, are so oppressive and continue to be so oppressive. But be, being able to recognize that was really uh, a really helpful moment for me going forward. Uh, so I guess with that, Casey, uh, are there any community teachings or any teachings that, that you've been offered and sh has been shared with you that guide you through your education and career in the justice system? Yeah, I mean, I remember um, you reading that quote in last year's um, podcast, and it was uh, really an aha moment for me, because there is so much of that tension between um, trying to stay true to yourself while also immersing yourself in this education so you can use those tools and learn that knowledge. Um, I'm not sure if this is a, a teaching necessarily, um, but I was told really early in law school, don't reject yourself, let them reject you. And that's been something that I continue to come back to regularly. So, you know, when that imposter syndrome sets in, when I don't know what I'm doing, when I'm questioning whether I belong in certain spaces, I really come back to that quote of, you know, don't reject yourself, let them do it. Um, because it's not my job to self-select myself out of things. It's not my job to shrink myself down or downplay my value. All I need to focus on is who I am and my why. And the external part will do what it will. But the possible outcome should never constrain my choices. And so that's been a really you know, a good quote to bring myself back to myself when I'm struggling in law school and not really sure what I should be doing or if I'm in the right space. I have been leading with that, um, never to reject myself and always to let them do it instead. Ah, uh, yes. And I am going to remember that for the rest of my life as well, too. Oh, wow. Uh, so here you are. You're 
uh, in your third year of law. It's already like <laughs> November is around the corner and uh, it's flying by, right? So um, now that you're moving forward and like, you know, that law school, as you said, it, it's, it's, it's coming to a close here. And it is, it, it, I was sad too, when it, I was happy when it was over. And then I was like, sad when it was over and was, and then, but what, you know, what area of law are you most interested in learning more about now? And what kind of work would you hope to pursue after graduation? Yeah, I focus most of my education on Indigenous and Aboriginal law, and that's really where my heart is. So far, I know that I'm going to be clerking at the Alberta Court of Appeal, and then going back to McCoy and Long Governor's Lodge to finish my articles. Um, but after that, there are a lot of unknowns. Um, my ultimate dream is to continue to work with Indigenous communities in revitalizing or reclaiming their laws, and really working towards reshaping what law means in our multi-juridical country. Um, but my future has a lot of unknowns and a, a lot of new paths to find, so I'm open to seeing where my love for community and that kind of community-centered work is going to take me. I, I think I can speak on behalf of everyone here that we are so excited to see where your work takes you. I certainly under this, understand the feeling of not knowing uh, what's going to come in the future, especially right now. Um, uh, I guess a, a question going forth is reflecting on last year's uh, podcast. Anita, Taryn, and I had spoken about the value of standing together as Indigenous law students and creating a strong community to support our legal education. Uh, so what kind of community do you envision for future Indigenous law students and lawyers? Yeah, I feel incredibly lucky to have been able to be a part of the community that we have now. Um, I met Anita through our um, U of A Indigenous Law Students Association. I met Mary um, through the National Indigenous Students Law Association. Um, so it's a small group, but it's growing. Um, and it's growing across the country. And I know that it's gonna continue to grow into the future. And this kind of strong community is only going to get stronger because of this. And I hope that Indigenous law students always feel like they have a home in one another. I know for me, it's made a huge difference to know that there's students who feel the same way about a lot of same struggles and challenges that we have at entering colonial spaces and learning colonial law. You know, there's there's challenges in being a law student um, generally, but there's some really specific challenges in being an Indigenous law student. And for me, having that support system in that community has allowed me to even move into third year, to graduate, to continue on this path, and to really find where I want to go in the future. And so I really, really envision that this will just continue to grow, get stronger, that we'll continue to support each other. And then one day we're all going to be like the IPC, the Indigenous Bar Association, uh, getting together in older age and talking about the law um, in our 60s and 70s. Yes, I would love that. I want to be a cookum, right? In those spaces. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, and I, you know, well, that's, uh, that's amazing. And I completely agree with you. Uh, community is the reason why I feel that I was successful in law school. Um, that strong community that we were able to like come together. And we're a small group, but we're a strong group. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of love there and there's a lot of support. Uh, and, uh, and, and that is what I just absolutely we all want this uh, to foster our community and keep it, keep it growing. And so that way we are able to create those safe spaces for other Indigenous law students and uh, forging ahead to do that in many ways and breaking down barriers and changing things. So that way they can, uh, can feel safer is definitely what it's all about. And 
so glad to be uh, around all of you to be able to do that. Uh, so Mary, I would like to turn the conversation over to you. And I just wanna say congratulations so much on graduating from the University of Ottawa. I hear you're back at school pursuing a master's at law at Queen's University. Um, and uh, so what made you to what made you decide to get a master's degree? And how has this experience differed from your experience at law school? Yeah, so the decision to continue with my master's right after law school was a very, very difficult one. Um, I was very honored to be offered articles. Uh, but after very much deliberation, I did decide to pursue graduate studies because there was, I felt like there was so much more that I needed to learn. Um, and my understanding of law and how it can be so violent and traumatic. Um, I personally struggled with the idea of working uh, within colonial institutions, despite admiring the many who fight oppression within the system. Uh, but the main thing was I was trying to find my place um, and how I could best contribute to the needs of my community in the future. Uh, so I was very, uh, to echo what, uh, what you both have commented on, I was very lucky to have loved ones, community, friends, family to consult with. Um, and one late evening, it was the dead of winter, it was super cold. And I went over to my aunt and uncle's house and we were having pie and ice cream and just kind of snuggling up. And, and, and I had actually gone over them there to ask for their advice. Um, but my uncle and I, we just started talking about indigenous philosophy because that's what we, we, we do and have done over the years. And after a while, my uncle turned to me and he said, why, why don't you continue your education on the very topic that we're talking about? So this lit a spark in me and I knew in my gut that this was the right path that I needed to take. Um, and my experience in the master's program has been completely different to law school. Um, so there's not too much focus, as much focus on laws and principles as much as learning the Western philosophical foundations of the law. And it's allowing me to deeper understand the issues um, while I'm able to uh, research uh, Indigenous philosophy, and I feel tremendously lucky to be here. Very, very, very lucky to be here to be able to do this. And I also know that uh, their Indigenous students, more Indigenous students are needed when it comes to the theoretical um, and the I guess the theory behind Indigenous law. So yeah. And, but likewise, Ania, congratulations to you as well from graduating from the University of Alberta and for winning the Justice Rosalie Silverman Abella Prize. I was super excited when I saw that because like there, there's you and another beautiful law student that I know at U Ottawa that, that won and I, I was just like, just such deserving people. So, um, that that was very very cool and uh we're we're also curious to know about how your experience was last semester in the navajo courts in arizona and also how have you been since graduation what advice would you give to fellow indigenous students considering pursuing a law degree 
Wow. Uh, well, first of all, thank you so much, Mary. I'm so proud of you and so proud to know you. Um, yeah, the uh, Justice uh, Rose, yeah, that it was uh, completely out of the blue. Uh, I had no idea that I was up for it. I, I guess it's the universities themselves that do it. Like they, I don't know what the process is. Um, I don't even know who to thank. <laughs> I was like, I would, but um yeah, that was uh, that was a very special uh, and unexpected uh, honor, and uh, that's what I definitely um, I, I actually just brought it into my office this morning so I could hang it up on the wall. So uh, yeah, <laughs> there's that. <laughs> um, uh, but unfortunately, uh, the Navajo Nation uh, Supreme Court uh, didn't happen because Omicron hit, and we were not allowed to <laughs> go anywhere because uh, I was in the um, I was in intensive um, um, at uh, Osgood. So uh, we did end up uh, switching gears a bit and I ended up working for my nation. Uh, so I ended up doing my placement for my nation, Wildan Cree, and some really cool things were happening at the time. Uh, they were researching, um, so I was working with um, in-house lawyer who's also my cousin Thomas and uh, a historian and uh, researching the relocation that happened to our our, our members um, that were forcibly removed to one area of that's not on the reserve but <clears throat> it's on the edge and there's currently a fight about that area but they were forcibly removed just like a couple months before winter and just the talking we we interviewed elders and we talked to all the elders like with regards to like what they can remember and uh, you know my great uncle was, I guess, the last guy there and he didn't leave and he was at on his, um, you know, in front of his cabin with a shotgun while the bulldozers came to bulldoze down all their little cabins and, and he wouldn't leave and he told them all to, well, you know what, and, uh, and, and he stayed and, and but I mean, it's just so heartbreaking to listen, like what happened and what happened afterwards and during so I never knew any of this about my, but what happened so it was really very interesting and great experience to be part of that. So I'm very grateful that that happened and happened for a reason, apparently. Uh, but yes, my heart was still wanting to go to Arizona as well. And uh, thankfully, I've had the opportunity and be in Arizona this weekend. I was asked to be on the Native Women Running Team for the Javelina 100, which is a famous ultra marathon. And I'll be doing my first 100 kilometer uh, run, <laughs> run, walk, shuffle, crawl, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> because I'll be doing all of the things. <laughs> uh, yeah, so that's kind of, what, and I've been, yeah, running is uh, obviously been a source of healing for me. So I'm a race director for the Orange Shirt Day Run Walk here in Edmonton, second annual this year, and we'll continue it on and hopefully grow. And I would love to see an Orange Shirt Day Run Walk in every school across Canada, honestly. And uh, yeah, I'm just doing that and taking care of my family and my cookum as everybody knows I have a four and a half year old grandson and you know he is uh, I was telling my husband the other day I said <clears throat> he, I don't know I was ordering him around or something and I'm like I'm the boss and he was like are you though are you really isn't there like a four foot guy with really long hair that might and I'm like oh <laughs> That's right. I'm not the boss anymore. Uh, anyway, so <laughs> what advice uh, would I give to fellow Indigenous students considering pursuing a law degree? Oh, goodness. I would say, first of all, never too late. Uh, doesn't matter how old you are. 
I had somebody message me the other day and she says, well, I'm in my, in my forties and like, is it too late? And she's like, and then she argued with herself while she's messaging me. She was like, is it, no, it's not too late because I see what you did and I'm going to go for it. And I'm like, well, I'm here. Anything, any question you have, anything you need, uh, uh, I'm here in this amazing community that's going to just wrap you around and, and we'll be part of that. And so, uh, yeah, don't, don't give up on those dreams and don't ever, I was, I'm in my forties when I went to law school, right? So don't ever give up and then like reach out to those communities we're, we're, we're here and I and we are a small group and we all know one another um and uh, I, you know I I definitely uh, want to say that 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 community will help you to feel like you belong because you do and um and and you're going to do it you know it's going to succeed and 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 if you need the help don't reach out and ask for help um and uh, all of us here will obviously offer that support as well. So that's my, that's my, uh, <laughs> that's my advice. So, um, so closing statement from Casey, and we want to hear from you one last time, or not just one last time, we'll hear from you many, many, many times. But Casey, is there any, any last words that you want to say with regards to, you know, advice or whatever? Floor is yours. Yeah, I mean, I'm just sad that this is over. I could talk with you guys all day. You're so brilliant. And I'm so constantly inspired by all the work that you're doing and the dreams that you have for your future. You know, I wanted to say thank you again to First People's House. Um, it's truly an honor to be recognized in this space and in this way. And it's an even greater honor to be able to be having this discussion alongside two brilliant Indigenous women who I look up to as they pave their own paths in law. You know, following in your footsteps truly with the First Peoples Award um, gives me hope that I'm on the right path as well. Um, I just have so much gratitude and I'm so excited to see where our paths are going to take us and all the amazing advocacy and change making that you two have in store for our communities. So with that, Masi, hi, hi, and thank you. You've been listening to Casey Keynes, the 2022 recipient of the First People's Law Indigenous Law Student Scholarship, in conversation with last year's winners, Anita Cardinal-Stewart and Mary McPherson. First People's Law is a law firm dedicated to defending and advancing the rights of Indigenous peoples. We work exclusively with First Nation clients to defend their inherent and constitutionally protective title, rights, and treaty rights, uphold their Indigenous laws and governance, and ensure economic prosperity for current and future generations. For your latest news and analysis of Indigenous rights and law, sign up for our weekly law report on our website at firstpeopleslaw.com. You can also find us on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.